Hey everyone, welcome to episode 7 of Truck Safe Live, the show where we and our guests tackle the hot button issues impacting highway transportation. I'm Brandon, this is Jared. We are with Truck Safe Consulting and Childress Law, both of which are dedicated to helping motor carriers develop and maintain cutting edge safety programs. So, happy new year to everyone. This is our first uh, Truck Safe Live of 2022. So, welcome back if you've joined us before. This is your first. Uh, show, then welcome. Um, if you are here with us live, be sure to uh, say hello in the comments below so that we know you're here. And then obviously, as we as we go along, if you have any questions or thoughts on any of the topics we're discussing, um, just drop them in the comments. We'll try and get them up on screen. So, Jared, you ready to roll with a new season of, of Truck Safe Live? I am indeed. And welcome, everyone. It's been an interesting last couple of weeks. Um, we had a couple of things, a couple of developments in the transportation world, particularly the uh, vaccine mandate was halted by the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, that was a majority decision. And essentially, um, the, the U.S. Supreme Court stated that OSHA had overstepped its bounds in trying to regulate public health as opposed to workplace health. And so uh, for you know various reasons, it was um, remanded back to the circuit court. So we may not have heard the last of it, but essentially... Uh, that vaccine mandate has been addressed by the U.S. Supreme Court. So kind of good news there. Yeah, to the applause of of many in the trucking industry, as we see here on the screen, ATA released its statement. It fought hard to to get that overturned. Um, they were one of the few, I think, that got to argue before the Supreme Court. So, um, yeah, I mean, good news for, for the industry uh, in that regard, but we'll see where it goes after that. Yeah, and, and some bad news. Uh Mira Joshi uh, has announced that she's uh, not going to be the head of the FMCSA at this point. Um, her nomination kind of got stalled. Her Senate confirmation got a little bit stalled. And uh, it was recently announced that she's leaving for New York City for a deputy mayor position. Uh, but we, good news, silver lining, we do have a new administrator named. Yeah, just last night, um, Secretary Pete Buttigieg announced uh, Robin Hutchinson as the uh, next deputy administrator of the FMCSA. Uh, her background um, prior to, to this announcement, she was the deputy assistant secretary for safety policy for the USDOT. She had worked a lot on the, um, the infrastructure bill uh, that was just recently passed. Before that, she was director of public works for the uh, city of Minneapolis. And then before that, she was transportation director for Salt Lake City, Utah. So look at all that. Look at all that <laughs> transportation experience. Yeah, good transportation experience. It'll be interesting to see um, where she takes the agency, presumably uh, installed in that position because of her infrastructure type background. So we'll see where that takes us. Um, and then uh, another um, big thing in the news recently before we get into the main topic of, of today's show was the FMCSA's announcement uh, a couple of weeks ago now of the Safe Driver um, Apprenticeship Pilot Program, which is a new pilot program that they are getting ready to roll out uh, at the direction of Congress. Congress told them to do this. Uh, and they and they are uh, taking efforts to to roll it out here. Um, we'll probably end up doing a show that's specific to the to the pilot program, I suspect. But generally speaking, if if you want more information about it, we've got uh, a detailed article on our website. But but generally, it's going to be a pilot program that's going to allow eighteen to twenty one year olds to operate commercial motor vehicles in interstate commerce. Currently, uh, rules require you to be 21 years old to operate in interstate commerce, but several states have uh, for years allowed 
18-year-old drivers to operate exclusively in intrastate commerce. So the FMCSA and Congress saw fit to, to at least study um, the impact of allowing those drivers to operate in interstate commerce. And so we'll see how it goes. The, the pilot program is going to be pretty limited uh, to start out with 3,000 participating drivers, approximately 1,000 participating carriers. There's going to be an application process, et cetera. Um, one thing that we did want to mention, and this is on our, um, on our website as well, uh, we, when we heard uh, FMCSA make this announcement, we got to work on developing a, um, a compliance package for motor carriers that are interested in um, <clears throat> potentially rolling out one of these programs and, and getting approval from FMCSA to participate. We, we think that uh, we're concerned that a bunch of carriers are going to rush into this without putting parameters around that program and, and the policies that we think need to be in effect in order to uh, to make that program defensible if, God forbid, one of those apprentices gets involved in a catastrophic accident. So we spent a lot of time developing a compliance package that includes uh, a bunch of different documents that we think um, would help motor carriers who want to be involved not only meet their regulatory requirements, there are going to be certain reporting requirements that they have to, to meet to participate, but also to help them mitigate their exposure. Yeah, and then having conversations with some clients that we work with um, that that have the ability to use uh, these under twenty one drivers in intrastate commerce already, um, a lot of them just forego that sector of drivers just simply because they're concerned about what insurance is going to do about that. I mean, that'll be something that's really interesting with this program rolling out. Is you know uh, the the program itself details requirements for the trucks and technology meaning it's going to make these drivers safer. So it'll be interesting to see how insurance responds to the program. Yeah, I, I haven't heard of any insurers speak out on the issue. I will be interested to, to hear how that's going to work and uh, if they're going to be open to it for their insured. So we'll just have to wait and see. So um, with all that said, if you're interested in that compliance package, check it out on our website, trucksafeconsulting.com. If you have any questions, feel free to give us a call and, and we'll kind of walk you through it. If you need any help tailoring it to your operations, we can do that as well. So that kind of wraps up the the other topics that we wanted to discuss before we uh, get into the main topic, which is the entry level driver training. Um, and, and one last thing before we do that, Jared, you want to uh, talk about the sponsor for this? Yeah, episode? let's let's take a minute and thank the sponsor of today's show, which is Links by Rand Transportation. Um, Links is a full featured transportation management system developed specifically for small to mid sized trucking companies, freight brokers and commercial shippers alike. It's mobile first design is the only TMS that offers all the tools needed without leaving the application to schedule, dispatch and track freight from order entry to driver workflow and billing using any device. Online or on the go, Lynx is an affordable TMS that provides the function, the functionality owner operators and small fleet managers and 3PL companies need to improve efficiency, reduce costs and improve profitability. So if you're looking for information on this, you can email info at links2go.com or go to their website to schedule a free demo. 
All right. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, links for sponsoring this particular episode. So jumping right in, um, you know, the entry level driver training, this is the hot topic right now because we are coming up on the compliance deadline for the entry level driver training rule, uh, which is going to be February 7th. Um, so under a month now before that rule takes effect and, um, uh, true to form with any big rule making, all of the questions uh, are seeming to come out here with uh, at the 11th hour. So um, we've had a lot of calls from our clients asking about how the program is going to work, who, who it applies to, that type of thing. So um, we wanted to spend some time just answering the most frequently asked questions that we're getting about the program. Some of the more sticky issues, the, the gray areas, we wanted to get into some of those. So um, we've got, uh, um, you know, a uh, probably a handful or so questions that we're getting pretty commonly. So we're going to answer those before we do, let's just kind of recap what the rule is. Um, so, you know, starting out, this rule has been a long time in the making. So Congress originally told FMCSA that they needed to implement a rule like this um, back in their map 21 legislation, which I think was uh, passed in 2016. Um, and, and, uh, Congress explained in the in the legislation that they wanted FMCSA to look at a, a better, a more uniform way to train drivers who are seeking to obtain their commercial driver's license. Um, and so we'll get into a little bit later kind of the rationale um, behind the rule. But uh, long story short, this was a long time in the making going back to 2016. It was originally set to take effect in 2020, uh, but there were delays because FMCSA had some technical issues with getting the system rolled out. Um, because it's going to involve uh, and require some interaction between the various state licensing uh, agencies um, and training providers and students. So there's a lot of, of people involved in the process, and, and it's just um, it's been a nightmare from what I can tell getting the, the IT system set up for that. Yeah, I don't know about you, Brandon, but I feel like I've been talking about ELDT for a very long time. Every time I give a regulatory update presentation, ELDT has yeah. come up year, for years and years. So I'm excited for this February 7th compliance day. Yeah, I wish they would have picked a different name because it's so <laughs> close to ELDs, another topic that we're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. And we're always getting them confused. Or are you talking about electronic logging devices? Or are you talking about the new training requirements? <laughs> so, uh, But yeah, ELDT. Entry-level driver training is what we're talking about today. So, uh, yeah, February 7th is the, the date you need to know. Um, as of that date, um, drivers who are seeking to complete certain CDL transactions are going to have to obtain entry-level driver training from a registered training provider before they're going to be eligible to complete their CDL transaction. Um, so we'll talk about later when we start answering questions about um, who specifically uh, needs to obtain the entry-level driver training, but that's kind of the, you know, the, the overview of what the regulation is gonna require. And really the nice thing about ELDT for motor carriers is it kind of shifts the burden from the carriers to the drivers to make sure that this training is completed because before they can sit for that CDL exam, they have to have that certificate to the state driver's licensing agency before they can sit for that exam. Yeah, that's right. I mean, any, uh, well, I won't say any. So currently, uh, I will remind carriers because when we do mock audits, we find that a lot of carriers aren't even doing this currently when they should be. But currently, the rules are set up. There is an entry-level driver training 
requirement in the existing regulations that places the onus on motor carriers to provide entry-level driver training to certain drivers, specifically drivers who have uh, CDL drivers who have less than a year's worth of experience operating commercial motor vehicles. Those drivers, if you're a carrier currently, um, you would have to provide them as the carrier, their carrier, you would have to provide them training in four particular areas, driver qualification, hours of service, uh, driver wellness and whistleblower protections. And then you have to document that training in their driver qualification file. So as Jared said, the good thing about this new rule for carriers, if you're a motor carrier, is that this new rule is essentially shifting that burden off of you and onto the drivers themselves. So you as the motor carrier will no longer have an obligation to provide that uh, that training to any uh, entry-level drivers that you onboard. They will uh, have the, the burden to obtain the training on their own in order to even be eligible to take the skills test uh, or the knowledge test in certain circumstances. The- and, and really, I mean, this is going to create new drivers that are better prepared to start at a fleet. So, I mean, it's definitely a good thing all around. Drivers obviously hate it because it's just another hoop they have to jump through to get their CDL, but it's going to create safer drivers that yeah. show up to motor carriers to be hired. Yeah. And, and like Congress said, they wanted something that was a, a more uniform way to onboard uh, or, or to train entry-level drivers. Uh, you know, the current system, how it's, how it is currently uh, you could obtain training from a CDL school. Um, there are certainly uh, a number of, of good CDL schools out there that prepare drivers to with the information they need to get a CDL. But you don't have to go to those schools. You could just learn from your brother how to operate a truck, and then you can go take the test. And as long as you pass the test, you've got a CDL. So that's the system currently. The new system will ensure kind of a more uniform way of training these drivers to make sure they've got a, a universal understanding of all the information that the FMCSA has deemed appropriate for those types of drivers. So as we said at the start, I mean, there has been uh, a lot of questions about the entry-level driver training rule uh, and some confusion with with certain aspects of it. So that's what we're going to hit on here. So let's just get right into it here. Um, first question we get a lot of is why? Why are we, uh, why are we even doing this? And we kind of hit on this already. Congress told FMCSA that it has to do this and FMCSA is now getting around to actually doing it. So this is at the direction of Congress pursuant to the MAP 21 legislation. So that's why we are are in the position that we're in. Next up, who must comply? Uh, so Jared, do you want to run through these? Yeah, sure. Um, so essentially um, anyone that's seeking a CDL uh, to get their class A for the first time or B for the first time, uh, has to comply with these requirements, which will kind of give you a little bit more detail about what that entails. Or if you're upgrading from a class B to a class A CDL, uh, you'll have to comply with these ELDT requirements. And also those seeking uh, certain endorsements like passenger, school bus, or hazmat also have to comply. Yeah. So one of the big questions is, okay, if I already hold a class A or class B CDL, or if I already hold a hazmat passenger or school bus endorsement prior to February 7th, 2022, am I going to have to do anything? And the answer is no. Uh, it's going to be anyone who is seeking to to complete those CDL transactions um, on February 7th or thereafter. And importantly, also, if you have a CLP, um, you're not going to have to comply with this as long as you seek the CDL before that expires. Yeah. So, yeah, if you've got your CLP currently and you don't need to renew the CLP after February 7th, 2022, 
then you're not going to have to uh, take the entry level driver training to to get your your CDL. Um, next up, what does the entry level driver training entail exactly? Well, that kind of depends on which uh, which way you're going with this. What type of CDL transaction are you are you looking to complete? Are you looking to get a class A CDL? Are you looking to get a class B CDL? Are you looking to upgrade B to A? Or are you looking to get a, a hazmat passenger or school bus endorsement? The training is going to differ for all of those different paths. Um, but generally speaking, with, with the exception of a hazmat endorsement specifically, which we'll get to in a minute, um, all of the other training uh, requirements are going to involve a theory component and a behind-the-wheel component. There's going to be a classroom portion that the student has to take, and then there's going to be a behind-the-wheel component of, of the training that they have to take. And they'll have to pass both of those to the satisfaction of their training provider or providers, uh, we'll talk about that in a second, um, in order to then be able to go to their DMV um, and and take the skills or knowledge tests that they need to complete those transactions. And the training itself has to be provided by a registered uh, training provider following the curriculum that's set by the FMCSA. And so if you go to the FMC, if you Googled FMCSA, uh, training provider registry, you'll be able to see the list of those that are actually already registered as training providers. It's a massive list. You'll also see how they offer that training. You'll see if they're offering that training online or or in person. So uh, check that out if you're interested. Yeah, and I mentioned hazmat, how that was going to be a little bit differently, a little bit different from the other um, paths, and that's because to get a hazmat endorsement, assuming you already have a a CDL. If you're just seeking to add a hazmat endorsement, that doesn't involve a skills test. It only involves a knowledge test. And with that in mind, those that already have a CDL that just want to add a hazmat endorsement after February 7th um, will only have to take a, a theory-based training in order to then be eligible to go take the knowledge test to get their hazmat endorsement. But just keep in mind for everybody else uh, that we mentioned earlier, they're going to have to generally get a uh, pass a theory component of the training and then in behind the wheel training component. And those can happen in, in any order. So they can, you don't have to take the training, the theory training first, and then the behind the wheel, wheel training, although that would make sense to me uh, to do it in that order. You could take the behind the wheel training first, you could, and then take the theory uh, training um, from that same training provider or a completely different training provider. And what if there's a six-month gap in between taking theory and taking behind the wheel? Does yeah. that matter? No, it doesn't matter, uh, at least what FMCSA has advised currently. Um, so, yeah, that's something to keep in mind. Now, with the theory component of the training, uh, I, I will note that in order to pass that particular training, there's going to have to be uh, – the training provider is going to have to administer a test after the training is complete, and the student is going to have to uh, um, pass that test with a score of at least 80% in order to complete the theory-based uh, training. On the behind-the-wheel side of things, there's no specific um, assessment that has to be done. The training, the behind-the-wheel training just has to be completed to the satisfaction of whoever it is that's providing that training. <clears throat> Next question, um, how long will the training last? Is there a requirement on how long the theory-based training has to be? Yeah, so the rule doesn't set any minimum hours. So this is an interesting question that we get a lot. Um, FMCSA originally, when they were proposing the rule, they, um, they had toyed with the idea of setting minimum hours requirements for the theory and the behind the wheel 
training, but then based on the comments that they received in during the rulemaking process, they elected to go with no specific uh, hours requirement for either portion of the training. So it's going to ultimately be up to each individual training provider how long their particular training is going to last. Now, there is one caveat to this. Big caveat. Uh, yeah, big caveat <laughs> to this, which is that individual states can impose their own requirements when it comes to entry-level driver training. So there are some states out there right now that set minimum training requirements for drivers who are domiciled in those states and who are going to be licensed uh, through their state. And the FMCSA has said that the FMCSA's entry-level driver training rule does not completely preempt those state laws. So the states are still going to be able to enforce more stringent entry-level driver training requirements uh, if they want to. So the caveat there is that you need to check with your individual state to see if they have more uh, onerous um, requirements because some of them may say we have a minimum hours requirement for theory-based training. And so if you as a driver are going to get online theory-based training, you need to make sure that the training that you get from your from your online provider meets your state standards if they have an hours uh, rule, for example. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. And if you're a motor carrier and, you know, after February 7th, if you're not providing any kind of theory-based training or anything like that, all you care about is, is the driver coming to you with a valid CDL at that point. Yeah. So you don't have to be too concerned about that. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest questions we get, motor carriers calling us and saying, all right, what do we need to know about the entry-level driver training uh, rule? And my answer is, if you're, not if you're not planning on providing the training to your drivers, you don't need to know anything about the rule because you're not going to have any obligations under the rule. Uh, in fact, the obligations that you have currently are going to be relaxed some because you're not going to have the obligation to provide that entry-level driver that old version of entry-level driver training anymore. So if what you do as a motor carrier is is hire drivers who already have a CDL, if that's your policy, then you're not going to have to worry about these requirements at all because those drivers will already have taken the entry-level driver training in order to get their CDL, and then they're going to come to you with a CDL. So that should be the end of the story. And tons of motor carriers that we work with are, are the types of motor carriers that are either affiliated with trucking schools or have their own internal yeah. trucking school that feeds drivers into their fleet. I mean, if you're one of those motor carriers, then absolutely you need to be very concerned yes. about this and get, get a handle on the theory and maybe the behind the wheel as well. Yeah, that's right. If you are going to be providing the training um, then yeah, these requirements, uh, that we're going to talk about here shortly are, are ones that you need to pay attention to. But good news, if you are a motor carrier that runs a trucking school or is affiliated with a trucking school, the theory-based training can actually be very easy, which kind of leads into the next qu question, which is, can training be online? Um, absolutely. The theory-based component can be online. Of course, you can't do the behind the wheel component online. Um, it's important to note that you still must be a registered training provider if, if this theory-based training is being given online or in person. So make sure whatever you're developing, uh, you have an approved individual, uh, uh, qualified individual uh, giving the course. Um, again, as I mentioned, if you search on the training provider registry, you can see tons of different uh, training providers that have already registered. And you can, like I said, also see if they're offering it online or in person.
Yeah. So if, as, as we mentioned earlier, if you're a motor carrier that has an interest in providing the training to your employees, let's say you're a fleet, a mixed fleet, you've got some CDL drivers, you got some non CDL drivers, and you have an interest in offering a program to them that will allow your non CDL drivers to upgrade and get their CDL. And you kind of want to facilitate that process. There's several different ways you can handle this. You could either um, develop your own curriculum and become registered yourself as a training provider. Now there is, there are going to be, uh, some, some things that come along with that, some requirements that come along with that, including, uh, record keeping requirements. You're going to have to make reports to the training provider registry about, um, completions and stuff like that. Um, so that's something to keep in mind, but another way you could handle it if you're a carrier that wants to offer this to your drivers, uh, is you could source the training from a third party training provider and you could either. So the, the interesting thing about the way that the rule is set up is, is that it says that the training either has to be developed by or delivered by somebody who meets the minimum instructor requirements. And we're going to talk about what those are in a second, but that gives you some leeway to uh, either um, if you're just delivering uh, the training, you don't have to necessarily be listed on the training provider registry as long as you sourced it from somebody who is. In other words, as long as the person that developed the training for you is listed on the training provider registry and has certified that they had uh, qualified instructors um, develop it. So uh, endless amount of ways that you could structure this if, if you want to roll it out yourself, including uh, partnering with an online training uh, provider. So. And really, I mean, this is this is great for motor carriers, and this is also really great for those that run trucking schools, because if I'm paying someone a warm body to deliver this information in a trucking school, and I have the chance now to, to have an online training pumped in with uh, questions already there, and, and, you know, compliant with the program, I mean, that's great news for me. Yeah, for sure. So, um, again, as, as we're going through these questions, feel free to, if you have any more specific questions, about any of the topics we're discussing, throw them in the comments and we'll try and get to, to them as they come in. Um, next question then is what's the process going to look like? Uh, how, once a driver is, is determined to complete one of those CDL transactions that we mentioned, what's that process look like? And there's a few different steps. So first of all, that driver is going to have to seek out an entry level driver training provider that's listed on the training provider registry. So they're going to have to search on the training provider registry to find one. Now, if they are employed by a motor carrier, like we just talked about, that's offering that to them, then obviously they've already found their training provider. It's, it's their employer. But the important point there is that the training provider needs to be listed on the national registry. Uh, but, but I would say if you're a driver and, and you're being sold this bill of goods, you should probably yeah. check the, the training provider registry before you. You may want to check that out because uh, here's what's going to happen. If that entity is not really listed on the training provider registry and you go through their training and now they haven't uh, uploaded your certificate because they're not on the registry and you go to your license branch and say, OK, I'm ready to take the skills test. The license branch is going to search the training provider registry for your certificate. And if it's not there, you're not going to be eligible to uh, complete that CDL transaction. So that's essentially the process. Driver uh, seeks out a training provider on the registry, completes the training to the satisfaction of the training provider. The training provider then uploads the certificate of completion uh, to the training provider registry. And then it's available then for the state driver's licensing agencies to review when they have a student in front of them that's trying to complete a CDL transaction. 
They will reference the uh, the registry to make sure that there's a certificate there or multiple multiple certificates. If they've gotten their theory component and their behind the wheel component from separate training providers, there's going to be two certificates. There's going to be a theory certificate and there's going to be a behind the wheel certificate. Um, the licensing agency is going to have to make sure both of those are present in order to allow that driver to complete the CDL transaction. Yeah, it looks like we just, we just got a question in from Mark Gardner and he asked, if I'm allowed to use online for theory, isn't it possible for me to eliminate any and all classroom delivery? And I'll weigh in and Brandon, you can weigh in as well. That's absolutely right. I mean, as it stands now, um, there is no requirement. Like Brandon said, you can learn to drive a truck from your brother. And as long as you study good enough, study well enough to pass the CDL exam and, and the behind the wheel component, demonstrate your skills. There's no classroom requirement at this point. And, and really, uh, if you take the theory online, there's going to be no online or no classroom requirement going forward. Yeah. And even if it's not just a one-off person, if you're a carrier that says we're going to partner with an online training provider to allow all of our uh, employees to take the online training, you could have your employees, if you wanted to, take that training at their homes. The, the important part is that each of the students passes the training to the satisfaction of the training provider. So in that case, it's going to be an online training provider. The online training provider is going to do online assessment. Uh, there's going to be an online quiz that they take. And then assuming the, the driver passes that, um, that could all be done outside the classroom. Um, and then after they complete that and there's a certificate, then they would go on to take their behind the wheel training if they hadn't already taken that. So, Yep, that's a great question, Mark. All right, so... Uh, next question then is what role will carriers play in this process? We kind of already answered this and the role, the, the answer is they will have no obligations under the rule unless they're wishing to provide the training to, to their drivers themselves. So, all right. So here we talked about, um, uh, that the, the fact that the training has to be, um, developed or delivered by somebody who, who qualifies as a qualified instructor under, under the rule. So what exactly does that mean? Who, who qualifies as an instructor? Yeah. So, uh, qualified instructors, they're going to have to be someone that holds a valid CDL and has for the last two years. Um, sorry, technical <laughs> difficulties here. And they, they have to be familiar with the types of CMVs for which the training's provided. Um, and like I said, they, they need to be sufficiently experienced to be a behind the wheel instructor, meaning two years of CDL experience and an active CDL. And if you are um, putting someone behind the wheel to do this, this training, this behind the wheel training, you have to store those credentials and make sure that yeah. they are indeed qualified. So actually, I'll, I'll make one caveat to that. So you said active CDL. So that's true, obviously, if they're going to be out on the road doing assessments with them and they're operating on public roadways, they would obviously have to have a valid CDL. But the rule actually does make uh, some exceptions to that and says that if you are an instructor who has held a CDL within the last two years and you don't have a current one, you can still qualify as an instructor so long as your CDL wasn't disqualified for some disqualifying reason, like a, like a serious safety violation or drug and alcohol violation or anything like that. If you've just let it lapse, for example, 
and but you've held one of the same or higher class to operate the types of commercial vehicles for which you are providing training, then you could be eligible to to be an instructor. But again, obviously, if you're operating on public roads, you got to have a you got to have a valid one. And that's the assumption I was operating on that they're actually demonstrating skills on public roads. If you have yeah. access to a private yard, you have that luxury. Then yeah, absolutely, uh, no CDL required. Yeah, the other thing to keep in mind is aside from having the the uh, same or higher class CDL, you also if you are training on uh, those particular endorsements we mentioned, hazmat, passenger, school bus, you also have to have currently those endorsements or have had those endorsements uh, in the past in, in order to be uh, qualified to instruct on those particular uh, topics. So. I'm going to try and get back here since I screwed things up here with our slides. <laughs> um, okay, so here's here's an important one uh, that we kind of hit on earlier, and it's a question we get quite a bit of, and it's what about state requirements? Um, and, and this is the one where we were talking about drivers who are domiciled in states that have their own minimum requirements. The most common one is going to be a minimum hours requirement must still comply with those requirements, even if they obtain the training from an out-of-state provider. So I think that's going to start to get a little tricky, if especially with online training. If you're a driver who needs to obtain training and you're interested in online training, you got to be sure you're checking with your state to see if they have any minimum requirements. Because the interesting thing about the rule uh, for online training providers is it says that online training providers don't have to meet any state qualifications. So the online training providers can still be listed on the registry without certifying that they've met all 50 states' uh, requirements. So you may have, you're probably going to have online training providers who who um, have more relaxed requirements than some states that are out there. So an online training provider may have a course, this is, I'm just making this up, that's uh, eight hours long, a theory-based course that eight, that's eight hours long. You may live in a state that says, uh, in order to get a class A CDL, you got to have a minimum of 12 hours of theory-based uh, training. That online training provider is not going to work for your situation. And then when you try and go complete your CDL transaction at your particular state, your state's going to call you out on that and say, we need evidence that that particular training provider met our minimum hours requirement. And you're not going to be able to provide it. So long story short, you need to do some due diligence before you select a training provider. And really importantly, I mean, if you're if you're looking at a driver that has a CLP, um, you need to know where that driver's domiciled, what state that CLP is in, and where they're actually going to be getting their CDL, and understand what those requirements are. Because when they actually have to go um, take the theory based component, um, if there's an hours requirement, meaning if you're a California carrier hiring a Nevada domiciled driver and he's going to be getting a CDL from Nevada. I mean, you need to understand if your theory-based training that you're going to be putting in front of that driver is going to satisfy Nevada's requirements. So just keep an eye on those types of things. So Mark has another question here. It's a good one. It's one I, uh, I thought about, but I don't think FMCSA has answered directly. So he says, written tests, can it be one simple question to make it easy for the driver to pass? They don't seem to specify what needs to be on the test. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's, potentially a gap in the FMCSA's regulations and their frequently asked questions. So certainly the FMCSA has a curriculum that has to be followed, a very detailed curriculum that's in, uh, that's I think it's in Appendix A to Part 380, if you want to search it out, um, that goes through each of the various topics that have to be taught uh, in order for a driver to be assessed in the theory-based portion. And those different topics are different depending on whether it's Class A 
class or a class B or the hazmat endorsement, et cetera. So clearly, I think what FMCSA has in mind is that any assessment that's done by that particular theory-based training provider is going to kind of track those same topics, right? So FMCSA is is for sure expecting that. And they have audit rights. So in the rule, uh, it says that if you're going to be listed on the training provider registry, you're opening yourself up to potential audits by the FMCSA. If they don't like what it is that you're offering, they can take steps to remove you from the training provider registry. So I suspect that if there are going to be uh, training providers who try that uh, trick and, and try and make it easy, uh, too easy for their drivers to pass the test, FMCSA will probably yank them. That, that would make it pretty simple if you got 0% or 100%, right? So 50-50 shot. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I mean, that kind of goes to something I was thinking about is, you know, if you're a driver, you should really be concerned about what you're getting with this theory-based training. I mean, because simply checking the boxes and providing a short training that doesn't really prepare you any better for actually being a driver or actually passing your CDL exam. I mean, you should you should get a demo potentially, especially if you're a motor carrier that's going to be purchasing theory-based training for drivers that you're bringing in. I mean, you should understand what the training look like looks like. Get a demo. Make sure that it's not just checking the boxes, that you're actually getting good content. All right. So next question is, if we are just playing pre-made training, do we have to qualify as instructors? We kind of hit on this a little bit. So this is the example where, let's say you're a motor carrier or you're a CDL school that doesn't want to be on the training provider registry registry yourself. You want to play pre-made videos that you've purchased from a, a training provider. Do If I'm just having somebody literally press play on the video and then all of my students are watching it, do I have to uh, have somebody who qualifies as an instructor press the play button? Obviously, the answer is no. FMCSA guidance says that the training must either be developed by or delivered by a qualified instructor. So somebody in that train has to be a qualified instructor. If it's not you who's pushing the play button and, and walking your drivers through it, then it has to be whoever you sourced the, uh, the training from. It has to be whoever developed that particular training. So if you're in that position or if you're thinking about offering that uh, either to your students, if you're a CDL school, or to your employees, then our advice to you is that you need to make sure that the entity that you source that uh, training from, uh, number one, is on the training provider registry if you're not going to be, and number two, that they used a qualified instructor to develop that training. So um, I don't think it's an unreasonable request for carriers or CDL schools in that instance to ask their training provider to provide evidence of the fact that the instructor meets the qualification requirements, which should be easy for them to provide. It should literally be a copy of the CDL of whoever, uh, whoever developed the training. And, and thank God we got a little common sense here that you don't have to be a qualified instructor to plus press play and, and play this online theory based training for your students. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so this one we uh, kind of already addressed as well, but it's the, the question is, if a driver holds a commercial learner's permit prior to February 7th, must he or she take uh, the entry-level driver training? And this must have been a common question FMCSA was getting as well because they have a specific uh, frequently asked question on this, uh, on this particular topic, and it says that uh, no, as long as that particular driver held the CLP prior to February 7th and that they don't have to renew it after February 7th, 
um, then they're not going to have to take the entry-level driver training. They could go and, and, and complete their CDL transaction without going through that entry-level driver training um, uh, process. So that's the good news if you're in that boat. More common sense. What's going on here? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Jared, that kind of wraps up all of our uh, pre-made questions. So again, if you have any questions, feel free to drop them in the comments and we'll answer them. Uh, if not, we will wrap up here and we'll wait a couple more minutes here, maybe as we're kind of going through some other things to wrap things up. Jared, you want to talk about maybe what, um, some, some different things that we have in store coming up for, for truck safe live and at truck safe. Yeah, we've got some interesting things going on. We've got some new topics that we're developing. Um, I mean, we've, we've got some new guests that we're trying to pull in, uh, should be engaging shows. So if you have show ideas, absolutely uh, post a comment here so we can see some show ideas or send us an email, give us a call, let us know if you have show ideas, things that you'd really like to hear us talk about. Um, but again, we've got some exciting topics coming up and we're staying busy with Truck Safe Consulting and Childress Law. So um Good things in the future. Yeah, for sure. Mark's asking, uh, can he get a recording of this? Uh, this is a live show. It's going to live on uh, forever on our various social media channels. So if you're watching on YouTube, looks like you are, Mark. It's going to be available uh, at the same link that you found it. So you can you can, uh, you can can watch it there. It's also going to be on our website at trucksafelive.com. Uh, if you go there, you, you'll be able to find it. Um, LP Safety Group is asking... Where can I, as a driver, find a provider? Uh, this is going to be the training provider registry. If you um, if you just search on Google for FMCSA training provider registry, it'll pop right up. And that's where they will have the list of all of the registered training providers. And you can see if the one that you want to use is on that list or if you want to search by location, somebody near you, you can do that as well. It's kind of hard to get to the actual list itself, but you should be able to download an Excel file and be able to search that yeah. and sort it. So It's a little strange how that is now. I suspect that once the rule goes into effect, I'm hoping it'll be more user-friendly and you won't have to download a spreadsheet and then manually search through that. It would be nice if... You know, because this is kind of akin to the medical examiner registry that they have for medical examiners where you can go on the FMCSA's website, look at the um, medical examiner registry, and you could search by location for a particular medical examiner. I'm hoping they'll have something similar for training or, or a lot like the ELD self-certified list of approved uh, ELD vendors, and they'll yeah. actually show the revoked ELD vendors as well. So we'll have to wait and see if that comes to fruition. If not, like Jared said, it's kind of hard to find, but it, it's on the training provider registry website. You got to download the uh, you got to download the list, and you can sort it by you can sort it by things like are, are they what type of training providing uh, training are they providing? Is it online only? Is it uh, per location? Where are the locations? Uh, that type of stuff. So Brandon's going to write a letter to the FMCSA requesting a, a more concise listing of the training provider. Well, registry. with all of the uh, <laughs> IT issues that they had, I, I, uh, this probably isn't high priority for them. But uh, George says, thanks for the timely information. Uh, yeah, no, no worries. It's it's definitely timely. Uh, it's probably a little late, frankly, but uh, it is what it is. If you're a motor carrier, like a lot of our clients are, uh, good news is here. There's not a lot to worry about unless you're providing the training yourself. So um, one other thing we were kind of talking about what we've got going on at, at TruckSafe, uh, a couple of things that, that we're excited to be launching here shortly. Number one, um, if you haven't already checked out our, our TruckSafe Academy, it's trucksafeacademy.com. 
we already have up there uh, a lot of great training resources for motor carriers and safety managers and drivers. Um, and we've had those available now for about a year or so. And, and check those out, trucksafeacademy.com. Our safety manager course is great for anybody in a position that's managing drivers or even third parties uh, that that deal with, with driver issues, driver compliance issues. It goes through the full gamut of the federal safety regulations and breaks them down into their basic components so that you can get a very high level working knowledge of the safety regulations. So things like driver qualification, hours of service, vehicle maintenance, drug and alcohol testing, all of those key topics that the FMCSA expects uh, motor carriers and their drivers to know is, is kind of captured in the safety manager course. Our driver course is is great for onboarding drivers who who you want to to be knowledgeable of the safety regulations and comply with those regulations, and also as a remedial training type tool uh, to kind of have living out there. If you have drivers who are having issues with hours of service, you can reassign them to our hours of service course. So check those out. But all of that is kind of a setup for what's to come. So first up, we've got a new hazmat course that we're working on developing now. This is going to be, uh, we think, a, a great offered to to motor carriers who whose drivers haul hazmat this is training that's gonna that's gonna satisfy the um training require mandatory training requirement for hazmat employees anybody who's um who's involved in the transportation of hazmat or preparing shipping papers that type of thing they have to get mandatory training uh, within the first 90 days of when they start in that position and then every three years thereafter. And so this is going to be online-based training developed and delivered by a hazmat expert, uh, hazmat compliance expert. And we're going to have that available on TruckSafe Academy as well here shortly, hopefully this month, if not, then early next month. And then lastly, um, what we are also working on, uh, as Jared said, we've been pretty busy. We are developing our own entry-level driver training um, uh, theory-based training that's going to be offered online. So if you are a driver that's looking for an online theory-based option to take your training, or if you're a motor carrier or a, a CDL school that's looking to, to roll out um, uh, a pre-packaged online theory-based training, um, we're going to be able to offer that. It's going to include um, detailed video-based lessons. It's also going to include the required assessment. It's going to make the required reporting to FMCSA, the certificates, once the students complete their training. Uh, and so we are planning to be listed on the training provider registry. So Yeah, that's exciting. And I mean, just like with the hazmat, I mean, we don't pretend that we're the experts in hazmat. So we don't pretend like we're the experts in actually driving a truck and we don't have CDL. So we found an expert that's actually going to do that for us. So we're very excited about that. Yeah. So here's, we just want to roll a quick video that we, uh, that we put together on, on that upcoming um, training that we're going to offer. Operating large commercial motor vehicles on public highways takes skill and it can be dangerous without the proper training and know-how. Recent changes to federal DOT regulations require those seeking to obtain or upgrade certain commercial driver's licenses or endorsements to successfully complete standardized entry-level driver training from a registered training provider before completing their CDL transactions with their local license branch. Obtaining this training doesn't have to be overcomplicated or costly. 
building on its existing library of cutting-edge DOT compliance training, TruckSafe Academy will soon offer an easy-to-use online platform for drivers to obtain the required theory-based entry-level driver training for Class A and Class B CDLs, as well as hazmat endorsements. Hassle-free, no-nonsense, dynamic training. Taken at your own pace, on your own time, and on your own device. Learn precisely what you need to know from experienced instructors in order to complete your CDL transaction and operate safely. Check out our full course offerings and sample lessons online at trucksafeacademy.com. All right, thanks for indulging us for that uh, self-promotion there. Uh, last thing I'll mention before uh, we kind of wrap things up here is um, – uh, as we mentioned at the start, we're both um, transportation attorneys. We're, we both uh, co-own TruckSafe, but we also co-own Childress Law. So if you uh, and we do DOT compliance specific legal work for our clients. So if, if you have any need for that, um, be sure to check us out at childresslawpllc.com. Um, thanks again to the sponsor of this show, Lynx. Uh, we really appreciate um, their, their involvement with us, uh, go check them out on their website. Uh, if you, if you need that type of service, uh, Jared, you want to wrap things up here? Yeah. One additional training offering, uh, that slipped Brandon's mind, I think was reasonable suspicion training for supervisors. So if you have a need to train those supervisors that are actually supervising drivers on a daily basis, I mean, you're required to do that. Uh, we offer a reasonable suspicion course. Check that out. Uh, thanks everyone for listening and have a great day, everybody. Yeah, we'll see you later.